Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. Hello, I'm Scott Santucci. Hey, I'm Elizabeth Conner. And I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is dedicated to helping leaders ask the big questions they should consider in order to be successful with sales enablement. In this podcast, we're going to rethink, reframe, and revisit the sales enablement function and role to clarify it so you can take action, lead others, and ensure success. And today, we actually have a special format. We're calling it Tackling Reality, and I'm super excited about it. Scott, why don't you frame it out for us? Sure thing, Brian. Uh, Remember the episode that we had when we were doing the debrief of the conference board meeting when I was in Atlanta? Yeah, yes, I do. And uh, I remember I called you and you, you didn't answer. Yes, uh, I didn't answer, not because I was ignoring you or being a jerk. I think that you implied a little bit in the last <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but, uh, I didn't answer because I actually was engaged in a LinkedIn discussion. Like, God's honest truth, a LinkedIn, a LinkedIn uh, back and forth uh, with Elizabeth at the time. And I just didn't pick up because I was really engrossed by it. So Elizabeth, who's joining us today... I had reached out and connected to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, listen to your podcast. I wanted to connect. I shot back. Thanks. You know, what did you like about it? Blah, blah, blah. We got to talking and the idea came up. Why don't we confront reality and address her issues live on the show? So we've changed her name. Her name isn't really Elizabeth. Uh, Her company will, you know, will change. We're going to protect the innocent. So she's going to be able to talk to us and We've never met before, so we're doing this live for the first time. Isn't that right, Elizabeth? Absolutely, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to our podcast and you know, what, what you liked about it, what was the impetus to, to reaching out, and then ter- share with us, why the heck are you here? Why are you doing this? It seems kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I actually loved about your podcast is there was nothing that sugarcoated any of the experiences that anyone goes through. So what I've come across a lot is that a lot of the sales enablement blogs and things like that are just the, the all the positives, but there's nothing about the real day-to-day and the, the challenges that you do face when starting in this role. Excellent. And then what made you decide, like who actually decides to do this? I mean, just if you're listening, this is a total stranger who's agreeing to get on a podcast to talk about the challenges that she's run into. So I want to know a little bit about like you, like <laughs> why are you doing this? <laughs> so, I mean, I've been in sales for a long time, more, more years than I care to admit. <laughs> I, I absolutely love just speaking to people and sharing those experiences and moving into the enablement away from the actual sales rep role that is a very big mind shift and you're not speaking to as many people. You don't have the same support around you as a team of 10 sales reps to be in one sales enablement. So I'm sitting going, no, someone speak to me. (laughs) Great. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk and basically your voice is going to be heard and maybe there's somebody else or hopefully there's more people out there that are just like you. 
So what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to do the way that we set this up in our in our email is uh, what we're going to do right now is what we're calling speed date consulting. <laughs> so we're going to go through rapid fire. We're going to learn a little bit about uh, Elizabeth's world, what some of her challenges are, and some of the reality issues. I'll I'll interject with questions. We'll go back and forth really quickly, and Brian will wrap us up. Yeah, and if I could, uh, just one quick thing, Scott, if I could add, Elizabeth, too, I would say uh, we want you to challenge us. And, you know, you're, you're not in the spotlight here. Uh, we are, right? So if, uh, you know, through the course of this, you want to push back, you want to ask why we're asking it, or if you, you know, want to redirect, that's, that's your prerogative, right? So Scott and I are the ones here that are on uh, the witness stand, if you will, or, or working through this, not you. This is a safe place for you. And uh, let's just, you know, have a real conversation, like you said. Cool. Absolutely. So with that, uh, Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? What kind of company you've got? Just give us the basics, please. So I, I, since I went into sales, I've kind of sold most things, um, including what they would class as the difficult ones, advertising, office supplies, and then into IT and now working in the SaaS market. So I've kind of done face-to-face, on the phone, demos. I've done all the sales jobs. Mm-hmm. And I had experience doing training and thought, no, that's where I want to go. Um, in establishing that training role, we actually discovered it was more of a full-on enablement role we needed within the company. Gotcha. So t- tell me a little bit about the business problem that you thought you were addressing with the training role. So we grew very, very quickly. Um, and I know that's a positive challenge that a lot of companies face. But what happened was we grew so quickly that we had all these people in place and nothing to actually onboard them or train them in our products to do ongoing coaching. We had no one working with marketing on collateral. We had no sales training collateral, nothing. And it became a recurring issue with the reps saying we need training, we need training, we need training. Got it. And then when you say it, it became a full-on enablement role, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say there's a huge consensus about exactly what the scope of enablement <laughs> is and where does it start and stop. From your viewpoint, what does that full enablement role look like? And when you say we, who's we? Um, so when I say we, it was the whole sales team because mm-hmm. I was still a rep at the time. But for me, there's the whole, there's the process, there's a the documentation, there's actually communicating that properly to, to the team. There's tracking that the content we're giving is actually working and it's not just going out there to float about in the ether. It's actually going to customers. It's helping with the conversations. It's helping with the value proposition. And we had none of that. We were everybody battling against the sales team. And by moving into a training capacity, I started going, well, we actually need that. And we need that from marketing. We need that from support. We need that from our success team and that's how it ended up more of an enablement role because it was oh great you can speak to everybody in other departments here you go <laughs> gotcha so i to put words in your mouth spit out what doesn't fit what uh, you, you start out training because the belief is our reps really don't know what what they're doing i'm oversimplifying 
So we go in and uh, get them to look at what we're doing and oh, by the way, we need information from product, we need information from marketing, we need information yeah. from customer success, and we don't need it yeah. the way that you're giving it us, we need it in yeah. a different kind of way. Exactly, we discovered it was a much bigger challenge than we thought it was. When we started drilling down and I was trying to find the content and find the collateral to train the team in, mm -hmm. so that was where we kind of grew from there. Gotcha. So I think most people in a SaaS environment can relate to that. So tell me where you are today and uh, in our speed day consulting, what, what can you challenge us with to see whether we can help you or not? So here's the biggest challenge we've had. So we've got all the sales team happy. They've got their quarterly training plans. They've got me, they can come to for collateral requests and they know all that's going to be done for campaigns and stuff. The issue I have is not with them, it's actually with the management of those teams. So they, they're they younger, they're less experienced in the work environment and they keep trying to take parts of my job. <laughs> and you start feeling quite territorial and it becomes quite a conflict. And then as the more experienced one, I keep thinking I've got to take a step back and go, no, we can deal with this. And it actually ends up making me more wound up. Mm -hmm. So the whole dealing with the managers who I'm in the same team meetings with is the real challenge. So uh, let, let me um, speculate a little bit here to see if this is, if this is common. Uh, I have run into situations where managers might say, look, the reps that work for me are my responsibility. I'm in charge of developing them. You are not. And you're, and I'm kind of very, very much paraphrasing, what you're doing is uh, getting in the, the, the turf and space that I'm responsible for. And I wouldn't do it the way that you're doing it. I want them to do it this way. Mm -hmm. Is that about right? Yeah. So, they're, they'll sit there and go, you need to train my reps. Okay, great. What training do you feel your reps need? What training or what training do your reps want? I don't know. You just have to train them. Got it. All right. Okay, well, we'll come up with a plan. Great. Then it comes to onboarding. And you've got a manager going, I'm having nothing to do with onboarding. And then the manager comes in and says, no, I want to do the onboarding. Mm -hmm. And you know, you've got that, you've got another manager who's going ahead and scheduling training away from what you've planned. Mm -hmm. So then you've got the reps going, geez, we're spending a lot of time doing training here. And mm -hmm. it's not all for me, but I'm the one that gets the negative feedback. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So to, you know, in the speed date consulting, um, Boom, I've clicked in on a couple things. So okay. number one, let's talk about expectation management. In a role like yours, uh, and I, I go back to the first time that I created a, a creator role, managing everybody's expectation is really difficult. Uh, it, when I first started, I actually had four different sales regions. One of the sales VPs of the sales region hated me. It's like, okay, well, I just won't do anything. I won't deliver any services for them. <laughs> step, step number one is let's think about our, our function as a business within a business, right? You're the president of that business and you can choose who to service or not service. You just have to make sure that the people, your investors, the people who are paying for your salary and your, and your department 
are happy with the overall results. So let's start there. Let's talk about what overall results, to whom do you um, report to, and what is their expectation? So I report to our sales director, mm -hmm. and he's very much of the opinion, I mean, he has said to me so many times, your role was critical. You need to push back on the managers. But then, in the other word, uh, on the other side of that, he'll say, you know, but you do have to accept you do have more experience than them. And you're sitting kind of going, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously he's going to look after all of us. We're all his direct reports. But you're sitting looking at a manager thinking, let me do my job. And you won't have to do my job. Yes. So I think the, the first thing is if we go uh, level up to managing expectations, we need to, we need something clear that says, here's where sales enablement starts and stops. And here's where frontline sales management starts and stops. And I think, uh, so for example, if I were a frontline sales manager, I might be really high on development and I'm going to call the things that I'm doing developmental training or training because what the hell, it's just a word, right? We all use the word, but it might be different. Like you might be providing performance or capability training. So mm -hmm. I think if, if we could get really clear and say, all right, let's, let's delineate roles and responsibilities. The scope of what we're doing for sales enablement is to equip, is to raise the aggregate ability of all the individual reps so that they are conversant to talk to the customers that, that we're dealing with. They're able to speak at the right altitude level. They're able to uh, position our capabilities in a business-oriented uh, business way. And they're able to navigate all the internal stakeholders required and be able to work with the internal resources that they need to. Like that's my job and where I start and where I stop. The individual sales manager is responsible for the actual performance of the team. I'm sales enablement is evaluated on the aggregate, like the overall sales force, not any one in particular individual. And that way you make it clear that the sales um, the sales manager is responsible for the individual seller, but you are responsible for the overall environment of which selling operates in. That might be one way to make it to make it clear. That's that's step one in terms of scope. Does that make sense? It does. But once you've set those expectations, if there's then someone who does go ahead and schedule something that should be in, an, in the enablement space, do you let that go on and send the message to the team of, oh, well, it's okay, we, we can go to our managers? Or do you actually say to that manager, no, you need to cancel that and that has to come through me? I think the way that I, I prefer to handle that is in the, if you click on the business within a business service, you escalate that to the sales director and, and ask, and then that way they can ask, is the quality of the service that you're providing to that manager who does that, is the quality of the service that's being provided not to your standard? Is that why you are duplicating this effort? Makes sense. And then that way you're not in the position of yes or no. It's mm -hmm. if, if you're providing a service and that sales manager doesn't think that they're getting the right service, they should have the, they should have the ability because they're responsible for performance also. 
they should be able to go around that. And then that way you have a more or less, it's like a contract. It's just like you would want with your, with your customers to be able to have a give get. It's the same thing. And then that way you can escalate it in a positive way. And it shows that you are an assert you're, you are service oriented. So if, if the thing that I'm providing isn't adding value, then that's great. What that's probably going to do is put more of the burden on the sales manager to ask, hmm, am I really duplicating effort? Because this is time out of calling. This is time out of the field. And the other thing is uh, maybe you quantify. A, a thing that I'm a big fan of uh, doing, Beth, is to, or Elizabeth, I need to sound uh, European that way, um, <laughs> uh, is quantifying time, uh, is using time as a metric. In other words, we have uh, our reps, each seller generates X number of dollars of bookings per hour. Uh, and that we use that as a metric for meetings. We use that as a metric for anything that's time out. If it's $500 per hour, is this, is taking them an hour out worth $500 or can we solve this problem some, something different? Mm-hmm. You use that as your form of currency because then you can, or dollars, sorry, pounds. Um, <laughs> uh, pounds, euros, whatever to form a currency. But you use that and that way it, you, you can work it the other way too. If the sales manager is, is requesting those resources, well, that's time out. And that those resources you know, also belong to the sales director. They're not only the responsibility of the sales manager, they belong to everybody. So if they're making a decision to take people out of the field to duplicate time and material, and there are five other managers who aren't doing it, then that manager is gonna get the level of scrutiny and just ask the question, why? And if they have a good reason, then great. You should incorporate their feedback and make your, tra- your, your training program better. If not, then they're, gonna, they're not gonna be able to defend their action. And from, from the training point of view, that makes complete sense. What happens more on the whole working with the other teams though, where you, you're working on something, you're working on certain collateral for one of the teams and you know there's needs of another team and they're going to that team directly. They're not coming through you at all. So that's another thing, uh, branding. Anything that goes for you gets a brand. And then you say to all the sales teams, use branded material and I can vouch for it. If people want to go directly to, to, to sales teams and give them stuff, that's great. Just know it's not going to be branded. So if it stinks, you, don't have, you can't come to me. I, uh, you know, it's non-sanctioned content. So just brand it. Anything that comes through your department will be branded and um, carry that brand. And then you could basically say, look for this label, you know, the stamp of, uh, the stamp of Elizabeth. And uh, that way people will know that that content has been verified by your group. Again, the whole idea of uh, business with a business, it's your brand. So that's kind of getting the buy-in from, for example, our marketing team of saying, no, anything you're doing, it has to come to me. If it doesn't come through me, you're responsible. You're on your own. I can't vouch for it. Uh, I might. So con- conceptually, I'm 100% agreement with you. What I've learned is um, you guys are grading good stuff. Um, I can help you get it to be used by sales. If you go through me and let me perform my value added service, I'm only gonna make available material 
that's that's branded if it meets these standards. And I would create uh, a set of standards because the the thing that you have to be aware of is people in product marketing have been trained to create information about products. Mm-hmm. And that's what they know. And even when they think they're being customer-centered, it's still customer-centered through the lens of the product. Mm-hmm. You, as a salesperson, think in terms of the individual human being with whom you're talking to. And you and I both know those human beings could give a hoot about what the products are. <laughs> so you know this. I know this. Marketers don't know this because of what they've been trained on. And it's reasonable when you break it down that way. So what I might do is create like a spec, like a bill of materials, you might call it, or something like that. This is our standard of sales content. If you choose to uh, produce sales content not on this standard, you don't earn the brand that I put behind it. I am going to be branding this brand and representing this brand, I'm going to weave it inside. All the content is going to be uh, in the structure of all the training that we do. We teach people how to use the materials in the training. So if you want to be a part of that, you need to be able to get the brand. If not, well, you can go ahead and release it to sellers uh, for the time being if you want. I'm not going to say, no, you can't. Uh, The issue is, it's not going to get uh, it's not going to get the certification, so it's not going to get woven into how we work. And I have found that that message, particularly with the business unit ads, they love that because you're not threatening them, you're helping them, you're not telling them their content sucks, which is basically the the, the, the position that we're normally in. You're able to highlight the work that they've done that's good. They tend to do a pretty good job on sort of the market framing, right? And the, and oh, yeah. the market research. It's really good. They just kind of go overboard. And then like when they start writing questions to ask, ask customers, it's ridiculous because <laughs> they've never talked to a customer before. So yep. highlighting out, here's sort of the, here's the bill of materials. Here's the information that we're going to prepare. That helps a lot. And, I, and then I'd say the third area that I'd, I'd suggest is I'm sure that you guys have a sales process. One thing that I would publish for the, for, for the rest of the company, I, I call the company, all the other people that aren't in sales, sort of the supply chain behind sales. Um, what I would consider is, is sharing with them that um, they don't need to know all the details about the sales process, right? So what I'd say is, look, at What we're talking about is I'd like you guys to produce resources to help us advance opportunities through our sales funnel. At the end of the day, there's only five things that need to happen in sales. The first one is we have to target the right people. Are we all clear on what, who the wallet owner is for the stuff that we're selling? Do you guys have information? Have you talked to any of those stakeholders before? Like, you, you need to be able to say, this is, the, this is the level of detail that we need. If you aren't talking to these people, there's a difference between researching from Gartner or Forrester or whomever about what they think a role wants and actually getting on the phone and talking to somebody. If they haven't done that, how do we know for sure that that target audience that they're after is accurate? So you can, push, you can, you can use that as a, as a litmus test on quality. So that's one thing. Are we targeting the right people? Because if, if you're giving information to minions and we're asking our salespeople to sell to adult level 
adult level buyers right from the get-go were off, right, right, right from the get-go. Second thing that you can provide is, okay, the second thing that we need to do in sales is now that we know who we're going to target, how do we get access to them? And then mm-hmm. again, that gets to, are your leads targeted at the altitude level we're targeting? Or are you just trying to find anybody who wants to listen to our products? Mm-hmm. And again, that sets up a big tone, big difference. And these and are things that are easy to understand. Yeah, previously we have spoken to everyone. Um, so we are trying to get a lot more targeted on that. But it's interesting what you were saying there about the, the branding side. So in our company, we have everything stored in one place and it's actually accessible to most to nearly everybody. Mm-hmm. But we are looking at the possibility of bringing in a sales enablement tool. So what you're saying there about the branding, would that work with, okay, if it's had the SE branding, it's going to be in that tool. If it's not in that tool, then it sits with marketing. So I think that that is a way of enforcement. So let, let me answer your question specifically. So if you bring in a sales and AO tool, there's lots to choose from. Most people put all the content in it. I think mm-hmm. that's a huge mistake. If you bring in a tool, it gives you the opportunity to brand it. And what most, most of the vendors will say is they say, oh, your content's awesome. We just need to get a way to access it. That's not true. Most of the content isn't awesome. Um, and it's not awesome because it's not, it's not like people didn't put effort into it. It's just not awesome because it's not targeted individual stakeholders and it's not in the, the guise of having a conversation. So it's just not purposeful for driving sales conversations. So if you do uh, invest in a tool, I'd be incredibly rigorous about what goes in and not because the second you have a tool that has crappy content in it, sellers won't go there anymore. So I think that's, that's your opportunity to, uh, to highlight it out. And I think the step before that you do it is publish what your spec would be because then it's clear to everybody in marketing what goes in it. And just make sure you have it, you know, the ability to back it up. That's why I like those, those five sales objectives. Whenever I've talked about it with any, and I've only gone through two of them with you, but I'll, I'll go through all of them real quick. Uh, the reason that's really valuable is because I've never met a CMO who doesn't agree with those things. Mm-hmm. And then it's easy to buy in and then they get, oh, I get it. Conversations are different than the kind of material we're providing. Exactly. We're not saying to not do those things. We're saying if you want to put it to, if we want to call it sales enablement content, it needs to have this kind of brand. That's all we're saying, right? So in other words, you're influencing by leveraging what your power base is. Your power base is that you're providing training. If you want to get the content that they're doing into the bloodstream of sales, it has to fit the spec. The reason it has to fit the spec is because people have to be able to train on it. It'd be like, why, why would you do a physics lab and the lecture material that you have is completely inconsistent. You wouldn't do that in university. Why would we do it in business? doesn't make any sense. And it's really hard for anybody to push back on it with that kind of logic. And you're also not being confrontational, which is really the big rub is the, unfortunately the people in sales organizations um, are poor internal communicators they're dealing with so many things that they come off hot and it makes the 80% of the rest of the company not want to listen to them. And um, we need to flip that around and say, look, let me explain why we're doing this. 
This is what we're going to do. If you'd like to have my brand, we need to do these things. If you want to release it elsewhere, great, but it's not going to be in our tool because you guys have branding standards we need to follow, right? Well, we have conversation standards. Okay. And it's perfectly reasonable. And they don't, it's hard to push back. Yeah. So guys, um, this is Brian and I wanted to just, uh, you know, looking at the time here, uh, kind of jump in and, and, and recap a little bit of where we're at. Uh, and then Elizabeth, you know, based on the recap, we can get your reactions and also get your thoughts on what just happened. Okay. So um, for our listeners, uh, the, the key of this is through, through the process of questioning, and, and this is applicable to, to all, I think, sales enablement leaders, is making sure the context is understood. So, you know, Scott asked some questions about what's, what business you're in, um, what, what the focus is, and those are, you know, good contextual questions for somebody who's on the outside, but for, for somebody who's, you know, engaged in the organization, these relationships matter. And also, you know, the key that, that Scott was driving to, because things kind of move quickly here, but the, the, the thing that he was driving to is, you know, what's, what's the problem? And when, when you look at what the problem Elizabeth was trying to tackle, you know, she had a, a perspective of, you know, highly credible, right? That probably came through to our listeners. Somebody who's gone through sales and actually the sales team I don't know if you guys heard that, but they all tapped her on the shoulder and said, would you help us? Uh, and created a role for her and asked her to fill it, which is cool. It's like a, a promotion by the peers into an enablement role. And things kind of became quickly um, more and more uh, larger. The scope continued to increase across, I don't know, I think I heard process, documentation, uh, tracking, et cetera. And you can, you can kind of see that expectations were continuing to rise on Elizabeth and um, you know, she's trying to be helpful, but then there's these other groups. So the bigger the role, and I've seen this before, the bigger the role, the bigger the expectation, the more cross-functional it is. And that you guys, as you were listening, probably heard some of that. And when you look at it, um, one of the key things that Elizabeth said was it, it felt like everybody was battling against the sales team. But, and, and, and you know, the implication there is that they were trying to help. And one of the things that she said that she was doing to tackle that was to be a translator across these groups. And I think that's obviously a key skill of any sales enablement leader. The challenge is, you know, it, it, looks, it looks easy and we can use frameworks, but relationships uh, matter. And, you know, when the sales team's happy, uh, everything's great. And, and in this case, the sales team was happy, and, but there was some friction. And the friction was in the, the management team. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting here uh, in a, a professional view, and Scott and I have a lens across a lot of different touch points, but there is a, there's a, a point in every manager's professional background, I believe, where they have to decide if they're going to do things in spite of the system or, you know, with the help of the system. And, and, you know, Mark my words, I would say 99.5% of the sales managers that are, that are out there have, have learned how to do things in spite of the system and in spite of the help for years. And it's just the way it is. 
And, you know, there, there's a lot out there about do your job, stay focused. You can only control what you can control. This is what sales managers are taught. So when you come in on your white horse and say, I'm going to save things, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. And, you know, that's not your job. That is my job, et cetera. So what ended up happening, you guys probably heard, was Elizabeth moved into this, you know, I, I call it whack-a-mole and Band-Aids, right? So you're, 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 you're uh, you know, things pop up, you tackle them. Or you put a Band-Aid on it and you move on. People started going rogue and, you know, the implication of the role of sales enablement, as Scott said, is, you know, sales enablement should be focused on the aggregate view or the all up view of sales enablement and let the managers, you know, tackle it. So there are three, three or four key things that in, in that story that I wanted to call out. And, you know, when you look at the root causes here, to me, what I heard was, you know, is it clear what business Elizabeth's in? And, you know, the advice, Elizabeth, that Scott gave was make sure you're clear in the business within a business construct what value you're adding and, and to whom you're adding it to. So if your focus is on the aggregate sales team and managers are responsible for individual development, has that conversation happened? And is it clear what the scope of your business within the business is versus the relationship of a manager, et cetera? So that's one thing. The second thing, when this was the, probably the biggest bucket, um, and, it, and it, to me it kind of stems from the first thing, but it's this idea of engaging with clarity. So when you show up, is it consistent and clear what you're doing? And, um, you know, you guys had a long discussion about what I would consider, and, and I just label, you know, rules of engagement, or sometimes we call it scope of support. You know, uh, here's what I'm going to do, here's what you're going to do. Uh, functionally, Here's the roles of the functions that are involved. Here, here's who's doing what. And, you know, and Elizabeth, I think, and, and this is natural for sales leaders and, and myself included, I think we're really good one-on-one, -on -one, right? Because that's the nature of, of our backgrounds. I came from sales too. You know, one-on-one, -on -one, I can talk to marketing. One-on-one, -on -one, I can talk to training. One-on-one, -on -one, I can talk to a manager. But boy, when they start ganging up, that's a whole new ball game. You know, get two or three of them, and I'm like, uh-oh. Right. So and I think that's where Scott was at around the idea of standards, branding um, and, and watching the relationships across the supply chain. And him and I both have talked about the idea of you got to spend almost more time working cross functionally on relationships uh, in the supply chain than you do on your own team or your own sales relationships. So one way to do that was the five sales objectives that Scott outlined. And, you know, those are the, the, and, and then, you know, for me, one of the things that I, I would just encourage, you know, and, and just as a quick recap, one, what business are you in? Two, how do you engage with clarity? And then three, how do you drive, you know, the sales objectives cross-functionally to deliver the right value? Those are the three big things. But I'm going to highlight a second, a fourth bucket here. And this is just me from my background. And I think, Elizabeth, you heard Scott, you know, kind of allude to this, but I want to call it out just because I've been burned by it in my own background. When you, when you say stuff like, um, you know, I'm older than them and they're younger, um, that implies, you know, by the, the level of your position and your age, you automatically have authority. And I, and I, I think it's easy to, to go into that or, you know, maybe it's because of my gender or maybe it's because of where I live. These things are, you know, you never said that. I'm just, I've heard it from other, other folks that, you know, they're different and or I don't relate to them because it has to do with some sort of demographic. From, from my experience, that's never the case. It, it, it stems from those, those challenges of clarity 
and scope of support, not that they're younger or older, because to be honest with you, from what I heard in the beginning, they're actually all, you know, uh, one, they believe in you and, and, and consider you credible, and, but, and two, they, they wanted you to help. So, you know, watch, watch the language on that, but also, you know, uh, and, I've done, and I've done that, so I'm, I'm telling you from experience, it doesn't ever go well because it starts the us versus them. And once that us versus them starts, it's really hard to uh, ratchet that back. But the other part of the us versus them that's a challenge, and I've done this myself, is, you know, t- running around <laughs> telling people that their stuff sucks, you know, um, and passing judgment on it. And I think Scott did a good job highlighting, you know, the skills, the perspective of these functions and what they're, what they're bringing to the table. Start with that. Start with what works. Start with what's positive. And then, you know, offer this idea of uh, I'm going to help you get it to sales. I'm going to help you be successful. And I, I talked to this other, other guy uh, two days ago, and, and I learned a lot from him because from a sales perspective, and you look at selling, it mo- it's moved from an individual sale to a team. You know, you've got to navigate all the buyers in the network. And I would say apply that internally. You know, when you have everybody around trying to help, what's in it for them? How do you connect the dots internally? And how do you become an internal seller uh, to, and make sure you're not alienating, you know, uh, driving a wedge and, and accidentally, you know, turning people against each other? And, and if you use the language of, of should, you know, those, those guys should do this or those folks should do that, that's a, a bit of a red flag. I call it shoulding. So don't, don't should on people. <laughs> you know, and I, I say that on purpose to make it stick. And I have a no shoulding rule on my team. So, but I love the sound bite, and I'll end here, which is I can help you get it used by sales. And an and end by that is, you know, I can help salespeople. I can relieve the burden from them. You know, I can be a clearinghouse of complaining. Send all the sales complaints to me so you don't have to deal with them. You know, and when you see my brand, you know, you can believe in it, right? So th- those types of things might be able to help move forward. And I know that's a big, big debrief there, but those are some of the things, the top three, and then I added my fourth because I, I, I've, had, I've had experience with, with that type of a, a thing in the past around relationships. So Elizabeth, what are your thoughts on that? And I, I, I wrote this up, so I'll send it to you after this uh, recording's over. But, you know, now this is where you get to react to one Scott's um, diagnosis, my recap here. And, and I'd love to get your reaction to that. Well, when you were doing your, your summary there at the end, I have to say I was sitting here nodding so hard that my head could have actually fallen off just by nodding. Um, <laughs> so, no, I everything that you guys have said has been so good and it, it's actually got me more excited again about going in and going, right, okay, I need to put things in place now that I should have done six months ago. So, you know, actually putting out the message of, you know, I'm here to get your stuff used. I'm, it, it, I'm really excited to get going, and that makes it a bit more difficult to put into words. <laughs> um, but listening to Scott as well, actually being able to come up with the possible solutions to these challenges straight away, it mean it really makes me feel like you guys have gone through this and the in this kind of space, there are people going through exactly the same thing. This has been absolutely fantastic for me. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, Scott and I both have uh, the battle scars. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, 
I think I'm, I'm a couple inches shorter. I think I'm 50 pounds heavier than when I started. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, we do try to tackle reality. And like I said, I typed this up, so I'll send it over. And I, I might even put this in the show notes for other folks, because like you said, it's probably one of those things that other people are dealing with. So mm-hmm. um, Scott, I'll give you the last word, and then I'll wrap it up. Do you have anything you want to add? Uh, yes, actually, what I'd love to do is um, let's talk about next steps. What let, let's try to prescribe three or four things that you can do, and then uh, if you're open to it, let's do another podcast three months from now and see whether or not the things that we shared with you, uh, if you tried them, if they worked. So, yeah, absolutely. What, what what would be three or four things that you can think of immediately and just you know throw it out there and i'll i'll work on putting some words like each time you say something i'll replay it back of of how i heard so you don't have to worry about how to message it just sort of gut react cool okay so definitely working with the other teams to show them how i'm there to make make their lives easier and their material a lot more utilized gotcha so um, it's provide a message to, when you say other teams, are you talking about specific marketing? marketing? Yeah, marketing success, those guys. Gotcha. Marketing, customer success, uh, product groups, maybe even demand gen. Two is, are we getting access to those people? And that, mm-hmm. that'll be your responsibility to provide that data back to them. Three is, are we having successful meetings measured as, do the clients agree to explore further with us? And mm-hmm. Side note, that's a big hole that most organizations don't track. Third is, are we creating a shared vision of success? In other words, we have a lot of stuff. Are we using SaaS language to our clients who have no idea what we're talking about? Well, that impedes the sales process. So are there ways that we can use different language to describe the same thing? That'll help us get through um, that shared vision stage. And then on business case, are there different scenarios where we make different business cases? Some clients might just want to buy an individual point product. Others might buy into our overall solution. The business case used for both of those are going to be very different. And if we just stick to those four, five, you know, five objectives, it becomes really clear and it helps your marketing partners better empathize with what the sellers are going through. Yeah. Absolutely. And by focusing on it that way, it also means that we're not just, as as Brian summarized, we're not just putting a Band-Aid on it. We're actually solving the issues. Exactly. Exactly. So that's one thing to do. Second thing. Uh, Second thing is to work with the managers to set the plan out on who's responsible for what within the development of the team. Gotcha. So my suggestion on that would be I would create a draft of what that looks like first for somebody to react to. And before I do that, I would get buy-in from the director saying my scope is the aggregate performance of the environment, right? Are we creating the environment for all of our sellers to thrive? And the manager is responsible for making sure the people that report to them uh, are uh, are successful. Just that one sentence. If you get him to agree on that, him or her to agree on that, that's really valuable because that becomes your uh, that becomes a foundation. 
the rest will be just debate off of uh, off of nuance. And so you've won, you know, sales one on one, right? Try to win the agenda. You've won the agenda if you get buy in on that point. So I, I'd start there first, then I'd have something to react to, and you want them to beat it up, um, because then when you come back with your revision, they've exhausted all their pushback, mm-hmm. and then game over. You know, they, they it's uh, they've agreed to it. Elizabeth, Great. I've got I've got a suggestion for a uh, action item here. So, and I know this is uh, putting you on the spot. So I kind of want to meet you halfway <laughs> and throw it out there and. If you don't like it, you don't have to take it on. But one of the ideas I had is this idea that builds off of, if you're going to define manager and sales enablement, roles, responsibilities, and scope, maybe what you can do is also write up this, um, you know, scope of support of these functions. Uh, something simple, you know, what's the, what's the functional scope? Uh, and sometimes I call it a functional racy diagram. Who's responsible and accountable for what? Um, across the organization in support of these sales objectives or in support of the environment we're trying to create, for example. So, you know, and then, and then um, in that scope of support, marketing provides this, um, success provides this, you know, product provides that uh, to these conversations that salespeople need to have. And then that's, that's a good spot then to start talking about these standards that Scott was talking about. It's in that, in that view of functional mm-hmm. roles, responsibilities, and defining templates and standards that everybody can contribute to that you can start maybe driving. Does that make no, sense? I re- yeah, I really like that idea, actually. It's interesting that you said Racy there, because that hadn't crossed my mind of doing that. No, I really like that idea. Yeah, just don't overthink it. I, the first time I did it, you know, it was just a massive Excel, and I'm, it's just a bit <laughs> ridiculous. So keep it, keep it uh, simple. And it's more about the discussions that you need to have. And then the fourth one, and, and this is me being a, a bit a bit soft and squishy here, but I would say if you've had relationships where you got a little tense or maybe use some of the language, just go back and say, hey, you know, that time I did that, you know, I, I want to take it back and, you know, we're all on the same team here type of thing. Sometimes an olive branch can help even with uh, the folks that are, you know, um, young, quote unquote, younger, right? So. That, that might be an action item too is, you know, these relationships are critical. And I've, I used to discount uh, the role of one person in the, <laughs> you know, and just try to ignore the one person that, that doesn't work. Um, everybody's that's involved. Uh, you need to have a, basically a, a relationship plan with, if you will, uh, individual by individual. And if you need to mend bridges, you know, do it, do it earlier rather than later, because there is a point of no return on that. So okay. Yeah. Throwing that out. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I know exactly who to do that to as well. <laughs> okay. Great. So that's four there. Um. Any anybody else have any other ones? Scott or Elizabeth? You want to add another? And I, I wrote these down, so I'll, I'll send them over. But that's the first one is provide a message to marketing, etc. The second one is manager and sales enablement scope. The scope discussion. Then there's the functional racy. And then the fourth one is, uh, you know, the olive branches, you know, men's, men's, men defenses on this side yeah. of the pond. <laughs> <laughs> I think also there's the whole, you know, keep, keep the message to the sellers relevant um, and keep it focused. I think there's that as well. 
Yeah. Okay. So I'll break that one out. I had it blend, um, in together. So I'll split that out. Okay. And, and then as an and as assignment uh, for your success moving forward, here's um, I'm going to take a step back, and this is a pattern that we con constantly see. Uh, the pattern that we see is how people get into sales enablement at, is um, something's broken. You get tapped on the shoulder to go fix it. You get tapped on the shoulder to go fix it because you're really competent in that area and you're a problem solver. Then you inherit more and more stuff and more and more stuff and more and more stuff. And the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but then you don't have any resources. So what I'd like you to do is just in the back of your mind, think if I were a company, if I were a startup as a company within a company, right now you're in startup mode, right? You're being innovative, you're solving problems, you're securing, you know, you're sharing your customer base, you're learning about things. But sooner or later, you're going to run into a situation where you're going to need resources. How are we going to ask for those resources? Are you going to ask for them all some, all new? Or are you going to say, hey, as a business within a business, I need to acquire resources from other people inside the company who are not utilizing those resources as effectively. The, the point is at some point in time, you're going to reach a threshold where you can't do it just yourself and you're going to need to start building a department. It's better to anticipate that beforehand so that when the time comes, you don't suddenly wake up one day and you're working 80 hours. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'd say keep that, and I call that executing with bifocal lens. So the, you've got four things that you can do right now, five things, sorry, five things. And then one thing, just keep in the back of your mind. Okay. Great. Thanks a lot, Elizabeth, for uh, putting yourself out there, taking the, the risk. And, uh, you know, let me ask you our net promoter question. Was, was it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Would you that recommend us to others? Oh, yeah. I would say anybody who's going through any of these issues, get in touch. <laughs> right, great. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, as always, uh, send in your stories, send in your comments, engage at InsideSE.com. And Elizabeth, thank you so much. And we're going to have you back on in a couple or three months here. But in the meantime, feel free to reach out to us and we appreciate you on the show today. Thanks, everybody. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.